Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I am merely Andy Barron's. Uh, this, of course, the Monday edition of the pod that is normally a pickups edition, but you're not picking anybody up for any purpose. I am joined today not by Scott Pianowski, but in fact by the great Matt Harmon. Today we are going to be discussing uh, five-sixths of the wild card weekend. We're recording ahead of the Cards-Rams game. It is the rare Monday night playoff game, but we do have uh, five playoff contests that have given us plenty to discuss. Dallas and San Francisco just played one of the absolute stupidest games of all time, so there's a lot to talk about here, (laughs) and we're going to give you takeaways from every game. Uh, Matt, thank you for joining me. How are you? Uh, Andy, uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm feeling extremely good. Uh, I feel vindicated about me railing against the seventh seed uh, on the preview podcast with Dalton. And just both seven seeds got completely obliterated this year. You know, I did. I made the mistake of tweeting about it and and had to go back a few hours later and delete the tweet because I was like, I'm sick of not because I'm wrong. I'm extremely right about this, but I forgot that I don't actually care about anybody's thoughts uh opinions on my opinion so uh i was like i don't want to read these anymore i don't want to spend the rest of sunday um you know dealing with this crap so uh, i went ahead and deleted it but yeah i feel pretty vindicated we do not need like we didn't need the, the eagles in the playoffs we did not need the steelers in the playoffs but yet here here they are and for all the folks that are like more football is always better i'm a quality over quantity guy and i'd urge you all in this new year to to do the same I agree with you on that. And we'll get, I mean, obviously it's not going away, right? Like no, no, no league uh, ever yeah. adds playoff teams and then takes them away later on. It's just not a thing that's going to happen. Um, but like even, even the teams that emerged from some of those games, like did Tristan Wirfs need to get hurt for what? So, yeah, so they no. could prove their superiority to the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> we, we figured that out about 10 minutes into the game. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just absolutely brutal. Um, let's go. I don't know. Let's let's go in order uh, uh, that these games were played because I actually I feel like we got maybe the best game. I don't know. I don't know if it was the best game. I don't know that we saw a great game this past weekend, but certainly a, 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 a hotly contested game, a game that came down to the wire between uh, the Raiders and the Bengals. It was fun. I'm not going to say it wasn't fun. Let's let's separate the the stupidest moment of this game and just talk about it um on its own isolated a little bit the the whistle um we we can just we can just get through that i feel like 
I, it, people know the play I'm talking about. It's the phenomenal touchdown pass that uh, Burrow threw to, to Tyler Boyd back of the end zone. Um, there is clearly an official's whistle that is blown while the ball is in the air. I don't know that it actually impacted anybody who was on the field. I don't know that they had time to react to it. The ball is like, I don't know, two yards, three yards from Boyd's hands when it's uh, when when we hear the whistle. Um, and, and maybe that doesn't sync up perfectly. Who knows? I actually feel for all the hand wringing about that call, though, that um, it would have been a greater travesty if they had actually called the thing right, you know, and blown right. the play dead and said, <laughs> really, like, we're really going to take away that touchdown from Cincinnati when the whistle didn't affect the play at all. I don't, I don't know. I, I, what was your read on that thing? Well, this is funny because, you know, obviously we no longer have to, you know, it's a Saturday game anyways, but we don't have to work on on Sundays uh, anymore because FFL is done. You know, we're not doing a Sunday Night Recap podcast. So uh, my fiance and I watched this game from uh, a bar down in Manhattan Beach and a bar that did not have the sound on. So it was just uh, oh. music in the background. So I actually had no idea about the whistle controversy again until uh, I made the mistake of going on Twitter and, uh, you know, half like the, I said, like, wow, what a throw by Burrow. Unbelievable play. Like, I, yeah, I had the reaction as if, like, there was no whistle to it. And then, of course, everybody and their mother has to remind me that the whistle, the whistle, the whistle blew or whatever. I was like, so I had no idea this thing happened. So I agree with you that almost like removing the idea of the whistle even being a thing, I, the, the greater crime would have been not, not having that play. Right. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Just, yeah, 100%. just absolutely I, horrible. And I like, I guess I feel bad for the Raiders, but there's there's no way that any Raider on the field had time to react to that whistle. Yeah, or even like really had the trajectory to get in the way of the ball. I I think it was just a fantastic yeah. play that you know should have stood. And uh, I think that yeah, having the whistle blow or whatever blow that play dead would have been the bigger crime uh i do think like it was a it was a pretty hard-fought game by the raiders uh you know you got to give them credit for being here all that type of stuff um but yeah i i think that the better team ended up winning the team that played better consistently throughout that game i mean burrow was just so precise that was just one example uh from the day like him and jamar chase were just instantly connected in that game and and that was really i think the driving force for cincinnati who um you know the better team won to me in this game not just throughout the course of the season but definitely uh on on saturday they were just the better the performing team yeah, I, I agree with you. Burrow and Chase were fantastic. Um, Cincinnati gave us kind of a fun. I mean, they didn't go full Debo with Jamar Chase, but they did right. run him like mm-hmm. I, I think it was three times. That was really fun to see. I don't know if they I don't know if they did that because they want to mess around with it and do it even more or if they're just giving teams something to think about. It was fun, though. He's not I mean, he's not there's not a lot of wide receivers that are built exactly like Debo and can do Debo things. And I don't think Chase is exactly that guy. But whatever you want to do to manufacture touches for Jamar Chase is really fun. He has uh, if we if we throw out week 18 when he barely played and was just trying to reach some uh, some benchmarks, um, if we throw out that week. That guy has 34 targets over his last three games and is now absolutely dominating targets. But I. But I also feel like we flip back and forth between saying, aha, T. Higgins is the clear alpha on this team. And now Jamar Chase is the clear alpha on this team. And maybe they're both just great and we shouldn't get hung up on those titles. Yeah, I think that that's the right answer is that they're both great. We probably shouldn't get hung up on the titles. Just like with, um, I think this is the comparison I've made on the podcast the last few weeks. It's just like the same with the Tampa Bay receivers. Like we can sit here and go back and forth. Like 
you know, who's better, Mike Evans or Chris Godden? Well, they're they're very different. They play different roles. And the answer is you should draft both. They're most likely both going to be good picks. They're going to be good values. Of course, obviously, Godwin, um, you know, we'll see what happens with his free agency bid. But for the, the same analysis, I think, should apply uh, for these Cincinnati receivers next year. Like, I, wherever Jamar Chase is going to go, I'm going to want to draft him. Wherever T. Higgins is going to go, it's probably going to be a nice little discount off, uh, off of uh, Jamar Chase. But I agree with you. It was fascinating to see them kind of put him in this – rushing role he's not at all a Debo type of receiver but among the many things that Jamar Chase is great at and this was just yet again like watching him play on Saturday against the Raiders guys just so technically precise really underrated as the separator I can't believe there was ever any concerns about and uh, you know there were some concerns about like can Jamar Chase get open at the NFL level can he beat press coverage up the line scripts like bro did you watch this guy play you know in college like he he got open I think he's going to be fine getting open in the NFL he has been so far um, among the many things that he's great at he is very underrated as an after catch player I think that's the part of the game that sneaks up on him uh, or sneaks up on people about Jamar Chase so yeah I, I think it was really cool seeing them do that and hopefully it's something they kind of you know at least like sprinkle into the offense going forward if you were if you were actually watching this game without audio or you were just at the bar and you didn't hear everything that was going on in the broadcast I I should alert you to the fact that there was some conversation uh, uh, w- with the broadcast team about how, you know, they talked to coaches at LSU and the coaches at LSU had said that Jamar Chase, had he not wanted to be a wide receiver, would have been their best running back. And it was just like, man, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is, uh, is, <laughs> is taking strays in a game in which he's not even involved. I just th- I thought it was fantastic. Well, we'll, we'll get to it, but the... Uh... The subtweet uh, against Clyde Edwards-Alaire was the theme of the first round of the playoffs, but we'll get to that oh. a little bit later too. <laughs> um, on the like, before we just completely say goodbye to the Raiders for uh, for the rest of the season, they kind of maxed out, right? Like, phenomenal job by the coaching staff under extraordinary circumstances that will probably never be repeated. I don't know in NFL history. I mean, that was just a, a crazy confluence of events that they had to deal with. I don't like obviously Derek Carr doesn't get better from here. He's goodish. He's mm-hmm. he's definitely he's good, one yeah. of the I don't know, 20 best quarterbacks in the world, right? Like I, he's only under contract for one more year. I don't know if they intend to trade him. I don't know what they intend to do with him. I don't know. Like going forward, they got to add a receiver probably. I think Josh Jacobs is like I thought Josh Jacobs actually made strides this year and at least added a component to his fantasy i mean he finished what fifth among all running backs and receptions it's pretty good like we used to yeah we used to joke stunning. about yeah we used to joke about the promises that they were making about josh jacobs that you know were never fulfilled but they i don't know that kind of came to fruition this year four catches uh on saturday that was a good year for him promising year for him i don't know general thoughts on the raiders before we say goodbye to them yeah, they're they're a team. I think they can go in so many different directions. Um, you mentioned they need uh, a receiver. Zay Jones has another eight targets in this game. He has eight plus yeah. targets in in each of the last four regular season games and this one. But he's a free agent at the end of the year, and it's funny. I think I'm gonna I'm willing to put now Zay Jones in the group of guys like Hunter Renfro, like throwing the ball to Josh Jacobs, like all these good team or good ideas and good things that they started doing, playing better players. Once they got John Gruden out of the building, it is kind of funny when you really, when you really point to it, like that's when all this stuff kind of started. Um, but yeah, I think that we, you know, I think that we um, generally, we have no idea what the Raiders are going to do. I, I think that Derek Carr is definitely, I, I think you're kind of underselling him by saying he's one of the top 20 quarterbacks. I think this year he's played pretty good in really bad situations. Like I, I think you could argue that he's been at, at 
maybe a top 12 quarterback this year, just what he's had to deal with. You know, they lose their best receiver in the middle of the season. Like, you know, that's something that a lot of teams don't come back from. And a guy in Henry Ruggs who basically is not only valuable with what he brings on his targets, but also just his presence is extremely valuable. They never got anything close to that outside of the one uh, Thanksgiving moment from Deshaun Jackson, you know, like that impact was never there with Jackson, but you know, in, in trying circumstances, I think Derek Carr played pretty well. I think what they do with him, you know, most likely I would say like sitting here today, I think he's back with the Raiders and they, they probably, you know, maybe they bring in a new coach. I guess they're bringing a new coach. Like they're, they're probably not keeping coach rich just because he made this uh playoff run. You, you would, you would think, right. I assume not. I hope, like, I hope they give him a real opportunity. It's weird. I mean, nobody ever planned. It's weird. He probably never planned on being an NFL head coach, no. right? Like special teams background and all that. Um, not not really somebody that you would think of as as a particularly strong coaching candidate. And yet, I can't really find fault with uh, with the way they finished the season again after after Gruden's departure. They they lose both Darren Waller and Henry Ruggs, like the two guys that they built their passing identity around <laughs> uh, in yeah. the most important weeks of the season. And they still make it in the playoffs. That to me, pretty, pretty damn impressive. Yeah. So I feel like they probably bring in a new coach. It depends, I guess, on what that coach thinks of the roster thinks of Derek Carr. Cause yeah, they could probably ship Carr off for a couple of first rounders. Like, yeah, I, I think so if, if they wanted to, but um, my guess is he's too good for them to just completely start over. Cause I think if they ship off car, then they're signaling, basically, this is a full scale rebuild. You know, Mike Mayock probably go, the Mayock thing is interesting too. Like, is he going to stick around as a GM? Like they've got a chance. I think, I think as soon as Gruden was gone, it looked like, okay, Raiders are probably in the off season heading for yet another full scale tear down, like a full scale, you know, facelift remake this whole thing. And then they make the playoffs like that kind of is a complicating factor. So I think we'll know much more about the rate, what the Raiders are going to do in 2022, like over the next week, week and a half, basically. This, this, by the way, is part of the problem with having half the league make the playoffs, right? This, this happens yeah. in other sports as well. Everybody gets to say yeah. they're a playoff team. And then how do you tear it down if we're a playoff team? Right. So that's what the Raiders are facing. Um, let's, let's go to the Pats and Bills, uh, a game that was just, that kind of set the tone for a few other games that, that happened over the weekend. This was just not even a little bit competitive. It was, it was 27 to three at half Buffalo's offense was, was, I don't know, perfect. It was perfect. Basically. Um, it was like the death star against an unsuspecting peaceful planet. It was, it was super impressive. Um, Buffalo never punted. They didn't turn the ball over. Josh Allen threw five touchdown passes. Even some of the throwaways became touchdowns. Um, like the Buffalo Kansas City game can't get here soon enough. I don't know. What were your initial impressions <laughs> yeah. of that thing? Oh, man. I mean, yeah, it just looked like, you know, the, the Patriots are obviously not the uh, they're not the seventh seed. We, we know that, but um, <laughs> they looked like they could have been a seventh seed. Another team that probably just didn't need to be here. But a couple of things, a couple of things from this game. Number one, with the Patriots, it's like as soon as this game started to get away from them, I'm like, oh, this is probably curtains because they're just not built with a rookie quarterback with those wide receivers, everything like that. They're not built to like shoot themselves out of a hole. Um, obviously, when you've got a player like Josh Allen, you can do that. But to me, the biggest thing here is that the Devin Singletary, like full workload, thing remains a uh, constant and I think this is such a good development for Buffalo because what have we been saying all season to be like you know it'd be really nice if they could run the ball 
and they can run the ball. Like they have a pretty decent offensive line. They have multiple backs that they think are talented, but sometimes in these situations, you've got, it's very similar to like Tampa Bay, right? But Tampa Bay realized this much earlier on. And we're going to talk about their backfield coming up here soon too. But like they realized, okay, you know, it's much more valuable than like, 50% 50% Ronald Jones and 50% Leonard Fournette, just like 80% <laughs> Leonard Fournette. And like, let's get this guy into a rhythm. Even if you think, and I, I don't think this, but even in a world where you think these guys are comparable players, whether it's Fournette and Jones or Singletary and Moss, sometimes if you just remove the other guy and let the one back get into a rhythm, they can end up being a, a full scale, like workload guy for you. And that's who Devin Singletary has been. I think it is like, it's a big development because again, in last year's playoffs, this was a thing too. It's like, man, they just can't run the ball. It's all Josh Allen. And you know, Josh Allen is a great quarterback, but he's also a volatile quarterback. Like he can be on his game. Like he was uh, this weekend, or he can be the guy over the last two regular season games. Not great. Right? Like there was some Rocky moments for Josh Allen. So to have a running game there to fall back on, you can be a more complete team. And I think this was just, this was sneakily the biggest development for Buffalo all season long. It just kind of snuck in here at the end. And I feel like the only people who are really paying attention to it, shout out to us, like fantasy players, right? Like we knew like, Oh, Singletary, you know, is a value in like, we talked about him so much in the uh, daily fantasy podcast with TJ. Like even when we were both kind of still, I don't know, like not really hesitant to believe it, but really over the last couple of games, it was just too much of a trend to ignore, and it's remained here in the playoffs. I think this is a a huge boost to their potential Super Bowl run. The other the other nice thing about getting down to one back is that sometimes, and I'm not saying that this was the case with Buffalo necessarily, but some teams when they fall into a committee, um, it's it becomes a little bit of a tell when somebody's on the field, right? Like, oh, I I know he's getting the ball if he's on the field, and and I I know that this other guy is sort of the versatile. They might pass to him, they might run the ball, anything is on the table, sort of thing. So. Yeah, the Singletary thing has been a huge deal. He's, I, you know, I've always thought of him as like, well, they're never going to make him a full workload guy because he's tiny. I mean, he's like, I, I don't know what he is, 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, I think he's listed 5'7". Um, not a big back, but he's, I mean, he's held up now for, I don't know, a month and a half of this. Looks great. Looked great against a really good defense over the over the weekend, too. I think they're still, a, we, we still think of the Patriots as a really good defense. Is that a thing? I think they were the number two defense coming into this game. So, yeah, I mean, I think this was a a pretty big performance by the Bills, by Devin Singletary. And, um, yeah, I I can't wait to can't wait to see them play the Chiefs. It's going to be fun. I will say the other thing that excited me about uh, about the Bills approach in this game is that Isaiah McKenzie saw six touches. He gained 74 yards and Cole Beasley was barely on the field. And I, I don't know if this is. Beasley coming back from COVID. I don't know what this is, but, but, you know, it, it certainly struck me when McKenzie got a shot a couple weeks ago that McKenzie was at least as good a slot receiver or looked at as, as Beasley has been. And um, it seems like maybe the coaching staff felt the same way. Well, there's just no question too, that he's got more juice. Uh, I think yeah. Cole Beasley's a really good, re- he's a reliable player. Um, he's very good at beating zone coverage, but he's not, um, he's not a man beater either. I think that, uh, you know, he's very much pigeonholed as that slot receiver guy that that is not going to be, you know, he's not in the Tyler Lockett mold of slot receivers, right? They right. can beat man coverage. It can win down the field, that type of stuff. That's why he's been such a mercurial fantasy player this year, because they added Emmanuel Sanders and like, all right, well, now we're not playing Cole Beasley in two wide receiver 
receiver sets where he's most likely going to face man coverage on the perimeter. Like we can only really play him in 11 personnel. But I think McKenzie, to your point, you know, whether he's, you know, he's not like a Tyro Lockett route runner or something like that, but he's certainly got juice. He's certainly got speed. So I do think this is yet another thing that uh, gives you another dimension. And, and I think this is why Buffalo is such a well-coached team. They're such a, a um, you know, if, if you're, if your team is interviewing Brian Dable, not that I'm talking to anybody in particular on this podcast, but if your team is like interviewing <laughs> Brian Dable for a head coaching job coming off like the Sean McDermott tree, I think this is this this is the type of team we're going to talk about another team that's not like this that played this weekend, but like they're a well coached team. They're really into the details of their roster and they're also changing things as they go. And I think that's why this 2021 version of the Bills is different than the 2020 Bills, because, again, by the end of uh, their playoff run last year, it's like, well, they're just the same team and it's not it's not working against a team like the Chiefs. It's just better than them. You know, they can't out Chiefs the Chiefs. But now here they're at a point where, you know, they're switching things up in the backfield. They're 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 narrowing their lens on just Devin Singletary. They're playing potentially McKenzie over Cole Beasley, despite what Cole Beasley was for them last year. You know, even Gabe Davis getting some more playing time at the end of the year. This is a team that's constantly kind of self-evaluating and and thinking about it. I, I like that they're so detailed and and willing to kind of look themselves in the mirror and, and ask themselves how they can improve on a like kind of chapter by chapter basis within one season. Yeah, that's another thing I should have mentioned was a little bit of Gabe Davis over Emmanuel Sanders. They you're you're right. They have not been afraid to uh, to make some changes like late in the year, like deep into December. Um, before we get away from the Patriots, I don't know, like one big question about them, I guess, for me, as they head into the offseason, they just spent a ton on um, their receiving core, right? They spent so much money on their receiving core. And I still feel like they need both a number one and a number two. Maybe that's, maybe that's a little unfair to Kendrick Bourne, who was good um, and a a total playmaker. In fact, I know it's disrespectful to Bourne. He was, he was good. Okay. Bourne was fine. He was good. I don't know if he's a number two, if he's a number three, I don't know what he is. Hunter Henry was fine as a turnaround uh, in the end zone and, and await a pass sort of guy but again not really like an after the catch player at this point he's like a it's like a slightly better version of jack doyle maybe um like they need a lot of stuff in that like if they're going to be able to compete with the bills for the next five years ten years they they need stuff and they just spent all this money to assemble a receiving core and i guess you would like to think that you're finished once you spend all that money but they're clearly not yeah i think you just have to remember how bad that receiver core was last year I mean, it's like, you know, Nikhil Harry was their first round pick not long ago, and he's basically like might want to add 10 pounds and move to tight end at this point for Nikhil Harry, since the best thing he can do is like crack block on run plays and stuff like that. So um, you have to remember, like they had to spend a ton of money just to get to competent. And I I disagree a little bit. Like I I think Kendrick Bourne is a good player. Um, I think Jacoby Myers is like a fine slot receiver, but they desperately need a number one. I will agree with you on that. I mean. Yeah, there was some talk on like, you know, Patriot circles of like getting, getting Nelson Aguilar back for this game is going to be huge because he at least can stretch the field and well, one catch for 18 yards. You know, it's like you don't want you don't want Nelson Aguilar to be your best deep threat. You don't want Nelson Aguilar to be your like your best perimeter receiver. Uh, I think Kendrick Bourne is like a crafty guy who, you know, they can he, he did make some plays in this game. And I think they could kind of get him involved more. Um, and like I said, I like Jacoby Myers as a uh, as like a slot receiver as well. I think he can be 
you know, fine in that role. I think he's had some moments this year and, and Bourne has as well. So what they desperately need though, is like a future number one, somebody to be the top threat for Mac Jones to, uh, to kind of develop there. So yeah, they spent all this money to get to competent, but competent is not going to be good enough for them to be uh, the offense that they need to be. Yep. Fully agree. Let's move to, let's move to Sunday and we'll, uh, we got to start with yet another, not even a little bit competitive game between the Bucks and Eagles. This thing was 31 zip at the end of the third quarter. And that's, that's Tampa Bay playing without its top two running backs, two featured wide receivers in Antonio Brown and Godwin. Um, they lose Tristan Wirfs in this game. It didn't really matter against Philadelphia. It's obviously going to matter at some point down the line against better opponents. Um, one thing I did not like about spending a portion of this game on Twitter was that it became a referendum on uh, Jalen Hurts. And there was there was a great deal of, gosh, are we are we scoring the quarterback position wrong in fantasy? Because how can Jalen Hurts be good if he's doing this against uh, against Tampa? Like he had a lousy game. He was not good when pressured against the Bucs. Um, the, the Bucs have some dudes like that's a, they're, it's a Super Bowl winning defense. That's a good team. Credit to them. Hertz was obviously up and down this year. I, I guess it's fair to say that the position is a little bit unsettled for Philadelphia going into next year. But listen, you did not see the best of Jalen Hurts on uh, on on Sunday. They also like weird group of receivers. I mean, they just have this Jalen Rager shaped hole in the offense. Um, they got to get better too. Uh, I don't know. Early, early, your initial thoughts on this game. I agree with you. You know, it, I've kind of gone back and forth on the whole Jalen Hurts thing, but I have kind of settled on the idea that, you know, throw out what happened in this game. Again, the Eagles were not a playoff team. We don't need right, to see the right. freaking Eagles go against the Bucks. all right? Like, the Bucks are the second seed. In the old universe, they'd have a bye. They'd have a week to get healthy, you know, all that type of stuff. Like, not have Tristan Wirfs go out there, and and, and now he's in a freaking walking boot, you know? Like, we didn't. none of this needs to happen, but this is the reality <laughs> we live in. The Eagles get to pretend they're a playoff team, and it, and they do deserve a lot of. And I'm I'm uh, using this phrase intentionally. They deserve a lot of flowers for getting here. You know, uh, Nick Sirianni and the boys uh, deserve a lot of flowers for getting to the playoffs and like you know um, just turning their season around and kind of finding their identity. But you know, when we talk about finding their identity, talk about the worst possible matchup for them to do that here. Uh, not just because the Bucks run defense, which hasn't been quite as stingy as it usually has been here in the in the back half of the season but it's still the strength of their defense Vita Vea just got a contract extension and deservedly so for being like a tone setter in the middle the Eagles can't be what they were especially with like a, a potentially compromised Miles Sanders in this game coming in here averaging 2.3 yards per carry or whatever and you know you fall behind like that it's just kind of over because the as you mentioned they are not built to come back from a deficit and and yeah I mean I hate to like bag on one guy, but dude, Jalen Rager enough. Like we've, we've, we've got it. I mean, it's just like an all time bad pick because it happened right right before Justin Jefferson. And because I just, I don't know. Eagles fans hate him. I think he probably hates them back. And it just, (laughs) I don't know. Like you can point out too, like the guy, I don't know. He's just, he's not a good route runner. Um, He was historically bad in his first season and it's, it really hasn't gotten any better. And, you know, then he's mistake prone too. That's and then he was, and then he was lost on special teams. Yeah. Right. So it's like, I don't know. What are we doing here? I I think if I'm, if I'm the Eagles, I I mean, I am running it back with Jalen hurts here and like, sure. I guess you could bring Minshew along as well. Like Gardner Minshew is not helping this team come back from 
a deficit against the Bucks, though. Like, right. please live it, live in reality here about Gardner Minshew. Um, but I do think I'm running it back with Jalen Hurts, and I'm getting on the phone with the with the Falcons and trying to ship off one of these first round picks for Calvin Ridley. Like, I, I'm definitely doing that because there are some whispers out of Atlanta that the two might want a, a, a fresh start there. And if that's true, and he does want to come back and play football, you know, he's 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 past whatever he had to face this year. He wants to play again. That would be like a perfect trade, I think, to me. Yeah, um, I mean, you mentioned the the picks that Philly has. They've got, I want to say they have three between like the fifteen and twenty range, right? So they've got they've got three picks that are definitely not enough to get like a high end, um, super interesting quarterback. Um, but they would be, but they're enough to get almost any player who's available in the league, right? You throw right. one or two picks, you're you're going to be able to get whether it's I don't know if you decide you need a quarterback, you can probably go get Derek Carr. You can probably go get any other quarterback who shakes loose, or you can go get, I don't know, you can chase Calvin Ridley. That that all seems possible to me. But they definitely they definitely have at least one big piece that they have to that they have to slot into this thing. What were your thoughts on uh on the Bucks backfield? And I don't maybe they they probably get Fournette back and he's probably fine. He's probably good to go in the next round. Um, but if it doesn't happen, um I thought Keyshawn Vaughn looked fine uh yeah you know they they start off the game with a with a big gain from him just straight up the middle the combination of Gio Bernard and Keyshawn Vaughn got him almost up to 100 yards like they they were pretty good yeah they were pretty good and Keyshawn Vaughn uh did get some praise from Bruce Arians after the game uh Arians I think said this morning everyone quote everyone is seeing what I've always known about Keyshawn Vaughn he's a legit player and you know I mean Sometimes with Bruce Arians, it's like, come on, buddy. Like, then why have you played this guy like 0.0 <laughs> snaps basically forever? Uh, right. Uh, I think we've also seen Keyshawn Vaughn get the death stare from Brady. You know, yeah. the the whole thing. But I, you know, Fournette's a free agent next year. There's a chance that like Keyshawn Vaughn actually does play a major role for this team in 2022. And and that would be, you know, like, I don't know that the Bucks are going to be able to pull off like bringing everybody back uh, like they did last year. Like Fournette's a guy who could potentially be playing for another team next season. So even if he comes back and has another nice playoff run, um, I think the Bucks are, you know, I never want to doubt Brady because that's like the quickest path to be an idiot. But um, at the same time, I do think like, they're probably not going to win the Super Bowl this year. I don't. I think they lack just just a touch of juice that that would be brought on by you know being completely healthy, especially if Werfs is is not playing at right tackle. That's going to be a problem. Um, I mean, Ryan Kerrigan looked like he jumped oh. in the time machine from ten years ago or something like yeah. that in this game, going against a backup right tackle for uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, never want to doubt Brady, but I, I think focusing on twenty twenty two for this team. It should be pretty interesting. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn could be um, like a sneaky buy in Dynasty, uh, you know, to and if he takes this job over next year, at least there's a chance that that could happen, which would be great for all the folks in Dynasty who drafted him way too early a couple of years ago. <laughs> no, it's a really good call. It's a very good call on Vaughn. Um, we I I suppose I suppose we have to talk about San Francisco and Dallas um, if we're going to call this a recap show at all. Uh, Andy, what, what? I mean, this was like the best game of the weekend, I thought. At was least it, it was the, was most, it the best game. It was the it most was the thoroughly most officiated game I've ever seen. <laughs> it was the most entertaining game of the weekend. I would say um, we had both coaches sort of double faulting their way through the fourth quarter of this thing. Um, that, that was painful to watch 23 penalties total in that thing. Um, not like none of them stood out to me as like, Oh gosh, how do you, how do you call that? 
but it was just relentlessly thoroughly officiated. Of, yeah. There was a there was a flag on it. Anything anything that could get flagged was flagged. Um, that made it a pretty rough uh, uh, game watch experience. Um, the thing ended on just what I thought was a an objectively horrendous call. Um, the the and like you can't run a quarterback draw with no timeouts and 14 seconds on the clock with 40 yards to go unless you're unless you're sure you're going to score. Um, which you're obviously not right. Like you don't have Lamar Jackson. Like Dak is fine. Yeah. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not, I don't know, prime Vince Young or Michael Vick or anything like he's not going to score. And he's not even like, he's not even like 2017 Dak Prescott when he used to be an un, <laughs> like a really, really good rushing threat. He hasn't really been that all year. No, it was, it was just a brutal call. And I like, I know the official stumbles into him at the end and maybe there's a chance that they get a second on the clock and they're able to do something, but man, just really difficult for me to imagine that, that they thought that scenario was better than two shots from the 40. Yeah. Um, you know, the official has to spot the ball like this. This is all part of it. You know, the offense doesn't just get to spot the ball and, ru- and run the play like that's not how this works. Um, so they were basically really they were running a thin margin for error play there. And uh, what do you know? There was an awful lot of error in it. So, um, yeah, I guess they just wanted to get closer. And this was like the quote fastest way to ensure that that would happen. But again, they were running a thin margin for error play there. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that the bills are a team that are really well coached. They're really well organized. They're really well. um, uh, They're, they're a disciplined team. They are introspective and like ask themselves (laughs) questions. The Dallas Cowboys are none of those things. I mean, because this <laughs> that that play has to go through a uh, golden boy, Kellen Moore. Obviously, he's got to call a play, but Mike McCarthy has to to um, approve it. Don't you feel like I, I don't? I mean, this comes back to Mike McCarthy, right? Because don't you feel like the current version of the Dallas Cowboys are an awful lot like the end of Mike McCarthy's Packers uh, oh, wow. era teams, where it's like. Look, they're just they don't live up to their talent. They they play uh under their potential. Uh they are too static on offense. Um I mean Kellen Moore, bro, like I don't I, I maybe he can be a head coach, but there's a lot of problems with the play calling on the, this team. You know, they're too stupid to not like lighten Zeke's load when he comes out after the game and says he played through a torn PCL. It's like that's great you're a hell of a warrior but what were we doing here the last like half of the season playing this guy like a full workload zeke zeke handled 18 carries against philadelphia in for no reason (laughs) in week 18 like a totally meaningless game i i know they all got some stats out of it but like if this was true and i assume that the cowboys themselves knew they had a torn pcl and he got like 19 touches against the eagles in week 18 that is like that, that is just criminal negligence, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, and they definitely did not need Zeke's 18 carries to beat the Eagles. Ugh. They beat them like 54 to 20-something in that game. So, um, yeah, again, they're not a detailed team. Uh, they play under their potential, and I think that comes back to coaching. I mean, again, Mike McCarthy, one of the biggest heists of all time, was pretending that he had spent the year, you know, like in the PFF headquarters or whatever. I mean, <laughs> I it's just ridiculous. It was a it was a weird hire at the time, and and I think they've like this is a talented team, and and they are better on the side of the ball. We all expected them to be the weakest, which is obviously the defense. Although it didn't, yeah. you know, it didn't quite show up in this game. This is a bad matchup though for them um, defensively because 
they're the type of team like that if they went against the 2020 Bills, that that defense would give them hell, right? You know, like a, a pass first team because they can get after it and all that. But like a big physical team like the 49ers can come in and, you know, give 37 carries to Debo Samuel and Elijah Mitchell and kind of be out out physical. You, you know, they're the weakest uh, part of the Cowboys defense is um, you can get exposed on double moves on the outside. Brandon Ayuk is great at that stuff. We saw that several times this game. And their weakest pass defense area is over the middle. That's Jimmy G's bread and butter. So this is always going to be a tougher matchup for them. Uh, but offensively is where it comes. You know, I, I've got issues with Dallas. Like the penalties have been an issue all season long, not just in this game. Obviously, it was, as yeah. you said, thoroughly officiated. But yeah, this is a pretty bad failure for Dallas. And I, I, I know Jerry Jones said like, a coaching change is not on the table. All of these things are, um, you know, he's not going to discuss all this stuff. Kind of what I said about the Cowboys earlier. They don't ask themselves questions. They don't look at themselves in the mirror enough. I, I'd be, I'd be thinking about it today if I was Jerry Jones, but clearly he is not. So the the Niners also kind of drag them down into the into the muck in which the Niners generally like to play, right? Um, and maybe this, I don't know. I don't know if they can do the same thing to green Bay. This we're, we, we don't have to preview that game. Um, although it's, it's hard not to think about it. Like maybe they can, um, Debo was obviously great. He runs for 72 yards. He catches three passes for 38. He's just freak. He's just phenomenal. His usage is unlike any other player. It's been great to watch. Um, they, they kind of manage around Jimmy Garoppolo. And like, I know that Jimmy is in a compromised state right now. He's got the thumb issue. The, the guys the guys thrown like five picks and two touchdown passes in his last three games. Um, he threw a horrible interception at a terrible time uh, in the in the Dallas game. He's sailing a bunch of throws. He he missed Ayuk on a uh, I don't know. There's oh. nobody else in the camera frame with with Brandon Ayuk when it happened. But again, only attempted 25 throws. I don't like there. I don't know that you're going to be able to play that game against Green Bay. But I don't know. Maybe they can sucker them into it. <sighs> Yeah, it seems unlikely, but uh, <laughs> I, I I do think your point about Jimmy G is 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 well taken. Like he's definitely I was you know, again watching this game with my fiance, and I was like, his pick is coming anytime now. I mean, he's he's, <laughs> he's desperate to throw that thing, and sure enough, it came right at the worst time. Um, you know, Kyle Shanahan also said after the game that um, he was that Jimmy was at fault uh, for um, not letting Trent Williams get set uh, before the before the one fourth before one of the plays or something like that that ended up calling the penalty false start. So, uh, and Jimmy said they said they said that to Jimmy after the game, like, oh, you know, Kyle said this. And he's like, oh, Kyle said that. Yeah, he's. I think he's right. So it's like Jimmy. Yeah, he's a mistake prone <laughs> player. Everything like that. They're never going to get totally maxed out with him. That's obviously why they have Trey Lance, but. Um, I do think. By, by the way, that quarterback sneak, which, um, like, the idea that you had to put Trent Williams in motion in order to in order to to gain those two inches or whatever. Yeah, I mean, they gained they gained it easily. That yeah. that was just uh, I don't know. That that was some. It was a confusing sequence. It was a Kyle Shanahan uh, outthinking himself, perhaps. Yeah, um, but I do think the Niners are a good team. I thought that the, the Dalton and I when we previewed this game, like it was a very evenly matched operation um but the Niners looked like the much better team for most of it because again yeah. I think the Cowboys have serious problems with playing up to their ability I think they don't put their players in the best position uh overall you know they're they this is basically the second half of the season there's been so many problems with them as a vertical offense like they don't get anybody open down the field Dak's not really taking shots down the field or at least he's not taking them accurately 
and and I'm I'm confused as about how the, you know how they fixed. I mean, five point nine yards per attempt for Dak again. Like he's been under eight in multiple games here to end the season. That's pretty problematic. This is not a totally fair question to you because there's no there's no way that you would know this. But do you, like, do you think Ceedee Lamb is hurt? Because um, he was terrible in this game. He catches one ball on five targets. Uh, I think he had a couple of other plays that were wiped out by by penalty yeah. as well. I think um, a thirty-two. He had, he had a thirty-two yarder uh, called back, and there was another one. I think he had called back as well. And he looked visibly frustrated by the fact that those kept getting called back. Yeah, had a had a brutal drop though. hasn't hasn't reached seventy yards in any of his last six games. We saw him at the end of one play, um, um, kind of hopping around on on one foot on the sideline. I don't know if he's nursing some sort of issue, but it's just been a it's it's just been a little bit of a crash landing for him uh, in, in December and January. Well, shout out to Sam Wallace, uh, who tweeted this, and obviously I was tagged in it for reasons that will be clear here in a, in a couple seconds, um, tweeted this uh, yesterday, Brandon Ayuk, since weeks 9 to 18, clearly why I was tagged <laughs> in this, 68 yards per game, 0.3 touchdowns per game, 13.1 uh, fantasy points per game. CeeDee Lamb, 54 yards per game in weeks 9 through 18, 0.2 touchdowns per game, 12 points per game. I mean, they've bo- they've both basically been like, upside wide receiver twos um you know with with the decent ceiling but a little bit rocky like which is what you by the way that's what you drafted Brandon Ayuk to be in like the sixth round or whatever it's not what you drafted CeeDee Lamb to be and I think this comes back to they're a little bit weird with his usage I mean all the talk coming into this year was like please can they just let CeeDee Lamb be a perimeter x receiver but they've still like moved him around a lot which is fine but it also kind of seems very dependent on whether Michael Gallup is out there or not. You know, like when Gallup's out there, they they stick Lamb back at the perimeter position. They don't move him into the slot. Uh, you know, they let Cedric Wilson be the slot guy there. That's a little confusing. Um, I feel like they took CeeDee Lamb as a luxury selection because they had Amari Cooper. And they, yes. By the way, yeah. I mean, C- Cooper, Cooper has not played very well this year either, I mean, which is no surprise. He's a very inconsistent player. Um, but yeah, I think they're, I think maybe they're a little overrated in the wide receiver room when Gallup goes down. Like they've got two guys who might be, well, I think Amari Cooper is definitely a number two receiver right now. I think CeeDee Lamb might be a number one at some point, but right now you probably wouldn't call him like a true number one alpha receiver or whatever. Uh, and then when Gallup goes out, they have Cedric Wilson and like a, a couple other goofballs back there. So, I mean, the best player on their offense in the passing game this year has been Dalton Schultz. <laughs> That's where we're at right, right. now. I, I think Schultz, I, you know, I should know this going in, but I think Schultz might be a free agent. I think Wilson might be a free agent. Like it's, it's weird to say Dallas might need another Gallup receiver. Gallup is but, a free agent. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe they do. Dalton Schultz was the tight end three this year, Andy, and I feel like we don't. Um, That's just wild. We like That's don't talk about that enough. Wild. He was still uh, like even going into our into our playoff DFS contest. He was a uh, he was eighteen bucks, like you know, way below these other guys. Uh, you are right that Dalton Schultz is a free agent in twenty twenty two. Yeah, so they actually have you know it feels weird. It seems like they're just loaded in receiving talent, but they may actually have a need uh in in the receiving core as they head into the offseason let's and they might have a running back problem too so oh man well they have a running back problem that i i don't know maybe everybody's tradable in the nfl um because we've seen you know some some crazy contracts move but zeke has zeke has 50 million guaranteed on that deal like it's a 90 million dollar deal and 50 million is guaranteed and they like nobody's helping them out of that they're not i don't know if how many picks would you have to attach to the zeke elliott deal to get rid of him your whole draft i mean right, uh, right. And, and this is, zeke is like the perfect example 
the contract and his usage this year is the perfect example of what I said about the Cowboys. Like they can't look themselves in the mirror and face hard truths and they, and they aren't able to pivot that Zeke Elliott perfectly kind of uh, encapsulates that. Like I have no, I have no faith that the Cowboys are going to do anything different with Zeke. They'll probably just run him back next year. Cause Oh, he got another thousand yard season. We guaranteed he got that by giving him 18 carries in week 18 when he's playing on a torn PCL. It's just ridiculous. Uh, uh, nice way to bring it full circle there. Uh, let's, let's hit the final game. Also not a particularly competitive game. Uh, it's Pittsburgh. It's Kansas city. This is probably a wrap on Ben Roethlisberger's career. I, I think everybody feels that way. Um, so like hat tip to him. He's a six time pro bowler, couple of super bowls. He twice led the NFL in passing yardage over 60,000 for his career, over 400 passing scores for his career. 554 career sacks. That is the most in NFL history. Um, it's It's been a ride. Um, he was obviously a bit of a punchline over the last couple of seasons after the elbow injury, but amazing career. It, obviously, it, his career overlaps Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, so he doesn't have all the hardware that you would necessarily expect from a player of this caliber, but a, a pretty clear Hall of Famer. Well, I mean, nobody has the hardware of, of Tom Brady. It's just like, uh, we just might as well not even like... Don't even compare quarterbacks to Tom Brady at this yeah. point. What, like even Peyton Manning, he's got two, right? Rodgers has one. You know, R- Roethlisberger's got two. It's like that's normal expectations. And yeah, people, <laughs> it's it's been hard to win a Super Bowl the last like twenty years or whatever because Brady's been winning them all. So uh, yeah, I mean that's where we're at. Joe Flacco's got one though, so uh, can't forget about that. Um, yeah, I think Roethlisberger obviously. Um, went from one of the most fun quarterbacks to watch in the NFL to one of the least fun quarterbacks. Like, yes. A, oh, a pluck so your well eyes out watch the last couple of years um so the Steelers are definitely heading into the wilderness in terms of the quarterback position if he does truly retire you know Mason Rudolph is not the answer I hope they don't trick themselves into into thinking like he could be um I don't really know what they do they maybe they maybe they bring it back with because Mason I think is is he a free agent this year is he is he a has he got one more year on his contract he's been around for a while I think he might actually be a free agent but they're but they're obviously a team that is going to, you know, any quarterback that can possibly shake loose, they're going to be interested in. Right. Because almost everything is ready to go, except for, well, I mean, it seems weird to say all they need is a quarter. All they need is a franchise quarterback and an offensive line like that's so easy in an offseason. But um <laughs> Yeah, right, right. That that should be easy to find. Yeah, they are. Uh, they, they actually do. They gave me a, a like contract. um it's like a one-year extension basically so he's with the team next year in 2022 so they have some sort of option but i would guess that like it's fun to think about the steelers like going out and trading for aaron Rodgers, who i don't think is leaving green bay or like maybe russell wilson something like that um or even a Derek carr type of guy or, or jimmy g or something like that they're probably either in even jimmy g feels aggressive like are they really going to trade a second round pick for jimmy g and like be in the quarterback market a couple of years from now i don't know about that so they feel like as much as we might w- want to get excited about them trading for some big name player like a you know obviously there's complications with deshaun watson but like a watson or a russell wilson or even a Derek carr it feels like they probably run run into 2022 with mason rudolph and a rookie that feels like the most likely scenario Woof. Um, I had thought for, for <laughs> just a moment there that Pittsburgh had had sort of drawn Kansas City into the, there's like Pittsburgh has this unique ability to like cast a spell on a team and briefly turn them into like the Cleveland Browns or the Lions or just like the worst offense in the world. And then it was like and then it was like Kansas City just shook it off. And in the space of something Thank like God. 10 or 11 minutes of clock time. Patrick Mahomes threw five touchdown passes. Um, he finished the yeah. game 
over 400 yards, five TDs. Uh, everybody got in on it. Kelsey was in on it. Hill was in on it. Byron Pringle um, basically broke Joe Hayden's ankles. Um, it was like they got they got games out of all those secondary like supporting receivers who really only pop like once every six or eight weeks, right? Like they all played well. Um, it was a and again again against a, a pretty miserable Pittsburgh defense. They haven't been good in a while uh, outside of the efforts of Watt, right? Like he's their entire defense, and everything else has been bad. Um, but it was a really impressive performance by Kansas City that, that just makes me that much more interested in seeing that Bills game. We saw Jarek McKinnon, like, I don't know, uh, out of nowhere, out of mothballs. Uh-huh. Jarek McKinnon um, trots out there and, and handles 18 touches, gains over 140 yards. So, some of those plays were like, again, he gets the ball. There's nobody else in the camera frame and he's got he's got just an ocean of space to run. But some of the, I mean, he had some inside runs that looked good where he made guys miss. Um, he was fun. He's like an interesting fresh leg story this time of year. And I have no idea what they do uh, in, in their backfield going forward because they might get CEH back. Is that is that good? Do we care? Um, I kind of feel like you have to just keep riding McKinnon after what we just saw. Like Daryl Williams was available in this game. He fumbled early and then we just didn't see him again. He came in with a toe injury. Uh, you know, Derek Gore seemed like he might be a little DFS value, but then we didn't really see much of him. And McKinnon was great. I don't know. Do they just do they just stick with McKinnon now? McKinnon had 12 carries for 62 yards the entire regular season. He had 12 <laughs> carries for 61 yards in this game. Um, and obviously all of his efforts as a receiver. I I, I said this on uh, on Sunday night. This is objectively hilarious. Like the uh, <laughs> the the Jarek McKinnon thing for so. So many reasons. Number one, let's focus on the Jarek McKinnon part of it. Like McKinnon has been a guy that there's been like circles of fantasy Twitter that swear he's like a great player. Obviously, um, Kyle Shanahan apparently subscribes to those newsletters as well because they gave him a, an absurd contract for with the San Francisco 49ers. Like Jarek McKinnon has always had juice. Um, like he and and to see like a guy that I always think it's funny to see these guys that like have again these like hardcore uh, backers like big fans of their game like just totally pop up out of nowhere. Uh, well, I feel like with McKinnon, it was more about the like the combine pro day numbers than it than it yes. ever was anything he did on the field. Uh, well, yeah, of course, that's what I mean. Is like that's why people have been so excited because he's like a spark freak, right? Like he's yeah. a, a workout legend, that type of guy. So that's why people have basically since because he, he was drafted by the Vikings, like behind Adrian Peterson. So it was always like, oh, this is the next guy or whatever. I think I think I rem- I'm remembering yeah. that correctly. And like and then it became like Jarek McKinnon and Matt Asiata, like back in twenty uh, <laughs> was that like twenty fourteen when Peterson was suspended or whatever. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it, it, he's. He's been a guy that's like made the rounds in fantasy Twitter. And I always think when those players like pop in some huge moment like this, that's objectively hilarious. But then it comes back to the the Clyde Edwards-Alaire like ca- catching strays. Like basically, like you said, is it even good if CEH is back? Like I, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I mean, this is the game we would have wanted out of a guy like this, right? Yeah. Like they draft this pass catching running back in CEH who, uh, you know, apparently would have been a worse running back than Jamar Chase, like you said at the top of the podcast. He's never had a game like Jarek McKinnon just had as a receiver. He's like a, a terrible passing game back is CH. They never throw him the ball. They 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 design these, like, slip screens for Jarek McKinnon. Like you, where you said, nobody is even in the frame with this guy on some of these receiving uh, looks for him. And he ran with like power and physicality that CEH doesn't run with. Like that's the most, the most hilarious part of this entire hilarious Jared McKinnon situation is that like 
this is the this is like what we, this is why everybody drafted Clyde Edwards Lair over Jonathan Taylor like a bunch of dummies in their dynasty <laughs> draft because it's like yeah of course you put a, a pretty talented back into the Chiefs offense and this is what you'd get like that was Jarek McKinnon is basically like the uh, the. I don't know the 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 instructional video that you would have watched, yes. like what what he just did. That's the instructional video for getting a guy like Ceh involved in this offense when they drafted him, and that's just never happened. Um, on the on the Pittsburgh side, it it feels like it feels like you, Matt Harmon, are allowed to have either Brandon Ayuk or Deontay Johnson playing well, but not both simultaneously. <laughs> um, couple of couple of painful drops from Deontay. Uh, maybe none of this matters um, going forward, obviously, right? Because he's going to have a new quarterback, possibly a new offense entirely. Um, what what would it look like for Deontay with a different quarterback? Can we can we imagine that? What like what like is there a downfield dimension to Deontay that we just have not experienced yet? Well, we experienced it on his touchdown catch, right? Like he catches those passes, but he drops those. Like I I was. Basically, I could tell you offline about how like Deontay Johnson, like watching him in the Island games basically changed my entire Twitter experience. But that's a conversation <laughs> for another podcast. Um, anyways, like the I think Next Gen Stats put this chart out. I, I retweeted it last year that like most of the drops in the NFL happen short and over the middle because the ball gets on you so quickly and like defenders are obviously can put that heat on you faster. But most of the time it's like you're going to get the ball in that short little drag route. Like you don't have time to track it. Like, and that's why those things always clank off his hands. That's where he gets so many of his targets because of the quarterback that he plays with. So I know that there's like some people out there that I just have this conspiracy theory that he's not actually a good player because of his yards per target or whatever. Like, have you looked at Juju's yards per target the last couple of years when he's been playing? Like that was another thing. And then uh, I, uh, raspy old Chris Collinsworth last night was, uh, <laughs> you know, saying like, yeah, throw throw those passes to Juju. He'll catch it, and then Juju drops one in like the third or fourth quarter or whatever. So it's like the, they're these receivers are basically set up to fail playing in this like super quick strike offense with um with Ben Roethlisberger. I think it will be a breath of fresh air for Johnson, who, like I said, separates cleanly, wins on that downfield pass to score the team's touchdown, uh, first touchdown of the night. I think a new quarterback is like exactly what all of these guys need. Although Chase Claypool, again, I, I've, he did not play as well as I think I would have wanted him to play this year. So he's the one like kind of question mark there. Yeah, that's actually the note that I wanted to go out on. Um, Chase Claypool is one of my biggest misses this year um, because I, I this is a case where I really talked myself into the idea of a you know second year receiver building off a promising first season. Um, absolute athletic freak. I mean, there's like a, there's like a, a set of athletic traits that you can put together where you come down in all of NFL history to like just chase Claypool and Calvin Johnson, right? Like they're rare athletes. Um, and it just did not happen this year. Although it sometimes felt like he only ever made spectacular plays and was incapable of making simple plays. Well, I mean, with, uh, with chase Claypool too, like, is there anything more hopeless then a Ben Roethlisberger heave deep down the right sideline <laughs> into a contested situation that, you know, that's like, as soon as that ball leaves his hands, like, well, it's going to chase Claypool who's going to be completely blanketed down the field. I think it will be interesting to see chase Claypool with a new quarterback who could potentially push that thing downfield. Like yeah, defenders just have, they know they don't have to respect the deep ball with Ben, especially like a deep contested throw down the sideline. But Claypool is not a good ball tracker right now. He's pretty terrible in contested situations overall. So I think he does have to wear some of the disappointment from his second season. But again, a, a new quarterback, not just because of like Ben Roethlisberger's declining still skills at this point, but like 
the guy won't run like play action. The guy will not turn his back to the defense. Like, you know, he has no shot at like moving off of pressure or anything like that. I mean, I've said this all year, but like as soon as he pumps, the Ben Roethlisberger like pump and then, you know, improv used to be. That, that again made him one of the most exciting quarterbacks of, of his yeah. generation. Um, now it's like he pumps that ball, he's getting sacked right after it. Just it's a total lock. So, um, the offense that they've had to play to cater to Ben Roethlisberger over the last few years, I think, has been the biggest detriment to the receivers, not just the quarterback throwing him the ball. It's very well said. Um, that is that is going to be a wrap for us today. Um, thanks for making it to the end of this with us. That is all we're going to have for you. Today, if you want to keep the conversation going on Twitter, however, make sure you're following me at Andy Barons. Of course, you want to follow Matt at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. While you're at it, go ahead and double check that you're following at Yahoo Fantasy as well. Liz and Scott will be back later in the week with a preview of the divisional round games. Until then, we are out. <laughs>